Another exciting episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, celebrating all the who's-its and what's-its in the galaxy far, far away. I'm Ryan Daly, and my guest today is DC Dave. What's up, Dave? Hi, Ryan. How are you doing? Doing very, very well. Thank you for being my guest for the first time on the show, which is great, which is great. We've, we've sort of been planning this for maybe about two months now. It seems like it's taken a while to get to the recording part, but we've kind of been uh, hatching the scheme. Uh, the topic du jour, ladies and gents, is Star Wars Visions, uh, the series of animated shorts released on Disney+, Plus, all produced by different animation houses and studios. But before we get into that... Dave, I have to ask you a little bit about your history with Star Wars and what made you a fan. Well, I was there at the beginning uh, as a early 70s baby. I was there in 1977 and watched Star Wars in the theater. Nice. And absolutely fell in love with it, as any four, almost five-year-old would. And I remember when it came back a year later uh, with the opening crawl and <laughs> and the A New Hope being added. I still remember the newspaper ad with the original Star Wars Kenner figures surrounding a cake saying happy anniversary mm-hmm. and going back to the theater to watch it again. And it's just always captured my imagination. This is... Star Wars is my story. Star Wars is my story of my life. It, not that I'm Luke Skywalker or Han Solo, but <laughs> it is the through line for my 50-plus years on this earth has been Star Wars. Well, I mean, and, since you brought it up, I do have to ask, were you a Luke Skywalker or a Han Solo? Because apparently everybody's one or the other. Luke. Luke all the way. Yeah. I, I was I was Luke by default. I have an older brother who, who was Han, so that was... Yeah, that's nice. right. That's right. I've heard that story. Yep. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, but you know, the Lukes, we got to stay together. <laughs> Luke is always the cooler one. Yeah. And on through Empire and on through Jedi, which this may not be the most popular opinion, but Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. Really? Interesting. Yep. In uh, fact, I would rank Empire at the bottom of the top of those three. Wow. Okay. All right. I, I this is this is interesting. That's a different. I, no, like I, I'm no no criticism or no judgment because I I love all of them so much. But I just I don't. That's a, that is it does seem like a rare opinion. So I'm just wondering like why particularly Return of the Jedi is your favorite. There's something about Jedi that just captured me. I think it was the culmination of the story. Mm-hmm. It was the different environs. It it felt like a much larger story than the first two. Hmm, okay, um, yeah. Ah, and then, you know, I think I was probably, well, let's see, 1983, so I would have been 11 years old. Ewoks were cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I know that's up. an odd I thing to say. But, yeah, yeah. And, and then, you know, it's, it's the space battle. Uh, you know, it just goes on and on. My favorite line from all of Star Wars is in that film and it's the Emperor with his oh I'm sorry the shield generator will be quite operational when your friends arrive 
just the way he delivers that and the evil behind it is just incredible. It's, no, I, I mean, I agree, and I'm, I'm just, I'm thinking about all the things that I love about that movie, and, and I do, I do tend to, to rate it a little bit lower than both Star Wars and Empire, but there's so much, and I, and I remember like when, um, gosh, five or six years ago, um, I, I think actually before The Force Awakens came out, uh, for the Film and Water podcast, Rob Kelly was uh, doing doing specials on each one of the original trilogy, and I said I want to talk about Return of the Jedi, because that was the first and only one that I'd seen in the theater in the original run, and I had so much to say about that. And even though I think it, it's lacking a few areas, I mean, like that that climactic third act with all of the different battles going on, with, with the, the Battle of Endor, with like this... The, the symbolic insurgency of the natives and the, and the downtrodden people taking up arms and resisting against this, like, just technologically superior oppressor and all that that means is so good. And then the space battle, you're right, with so many of those great ships and great scenes and stuff like that. And the, the action and, like, characters that you've never even seen or heard of, but they go down, like, in history is the classic, classic sacrifices like the A-wing pilot that goes through the the bridge of the star super star destroyer um and then yeah and then the culmination of Luke's journey um and I even love the beginning of that movie with everything at Jabba the Hutt's battle like I've I've often said like one of my favorite Star Wars things is like the battle like uh, above the Sarlacc pit because it's like it's a pirate movie it's a mini pirate movie with Star Wars um oh absolutely that that alone that first act alone with just that is just so much fun. Yeah. It's just so much fun. Ah, oh, I'm going to have to go watch that now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's always, it's my, it's my go-to film when it comes to which film would I want to put on. Mm-hmm. If I had to just pick it, pick one out of a hat and I was only allowed to watch one, that's the one that I would put on. I get it. I get it. That's fun. So, you know, after 83 and, and we put it to bed there was still the dabbling in the comic books and then Timothy Zahn's novels came out and I've always been a fan of Thrawn ever since. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and here I am today, you know, 25, 30 years later and Thrawn is still around and I'm, I'm anxious to see him premiere in live action. As, as we record, you're probably just a couple of weeks away from seeing the, his live action debut. Yeah. It just, it's, it's incredible to me. So yeah, I mean, all through that, I, I, Yes, there's been hits and misses. Yes, I've had times where I've been critical of decisions that filmmakers have made. And there are films that I've seen hundreds of times versus twice. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's all Star Wars. And I still find my joy in something in every film and every piece of media that I consume with it. Nice. Bonus points for using that phrase. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You uh, you, you earlier when you were talking about like the the poster with like the, all the Kenner merchandise and and the original figures, um, I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this all day. Um, do you like? I don't know if you've seen like Hot Wheels and Matchbox cars like have those like little miniature versions of like the, all the Star Wars vehicles and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. like they they also have like cars that are sort of like the like. I don't know if they're supposed to be like the the epitome of a Star Wars character in car form, like it's supposed to be like it's like a, a a van that's like has supposed to have like the personality of Chewbacca or something like that. Like I, right. I don't know, yeah, I don't know if you've seen something like that, but 
Um, oh yeah, I remember those from uh, probably even back in the eighties. I'm sure we had those back then. So what remind me of? Um, I took uh, this past Monday. I had to take my car in. I've got a, a Subaru, and I had to take it into the dealership uh, for a, a recall notice or service thing. And they they said it's going to be about six hours of work. Do you want a loaner car? And I'm like, well, either that or a sleeping bag, because I don't like if you, if I have to stay here for six hours. Yeah. So they they gave me this loaner, and what they what they told me was going to be six hours of work, end up being like the entire week because the job the the, the tech thought was just going to be short, end up being a lot more complicated. It took three days, and then they did this whole multi point inspection. And I've got all these other services that they needed to work on. So they had the car for a week, but anyway, that's not important. The loaner car they gave me uh, was an electric vehicle. It's like the new EV. It's the Subaru Solterra, um, and it was a like I'd never driven an EV before. It was a really really cool ride. But I swear, looking at this thing, if you see a picture of it, I saw it and I'm like, this looks like the car version of a first order stormtrooper. I'm like, just like, if you take a first order stormtrooper and just like smash them in the car form and put wheels on them, I'm like, this is what I'm driving. So you remember just, Nissan did something similar? Yeah, he did with the uh, with for Rogue One. They did it with the Nissan Rogue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So so you're not yeah. far off. It's, yeah. There's there's reason that hit you and hit yeah. you hard. Probably, That's yeah. awesome. All right. Um, okay. Well, let's uh, let's get into the subject, which I mentioned, folks, is Star Wars Visions. Uh, now, in case you don't know what that is, Star Wars Visions is an anthology series of animated shorts produced by different international animation studios. The first season, or really the first volume, was released on September twenty second, two thousand twenty one, and the second season on May fourth, two thousand twenty three. Each season, or volume as I like to call them, consisted of nine episodes. However, calling them installments episodes is a bit misleading because they're not continuous chapters. Each installment is a short film in itself, with its own characters, its own plot, themes, style, tone, and in some cases its own continuity. The first volume of nine shorts was created by seven different studios, all from Japan. For Volume 2, Star Wars Visions expanded its scope around the globe, bringing in animation studios from Spain, Ireland, Chile, the United Kingdom, South Korea, France, India, the United States, South Africa, and Japan again. Everyone has an inner light. Follow the light. I always knew you were meant for bigger things. (laughs) What if you just keep going? No need to fear. There are others like you here. I saw it myself. She has special powers. Can you get your porta potty off the starting line? She's a total. Exactly. Don't be afraid. May the force be with you. It's showtime. Whoa. The storm is approaching. I'm strong enough now. No one is stronger than them. We can beat them. No! You there, hold it. (gasps) 
cannot choose where our calling takes us. Only whether or not to answer. Dave, what was your what were your your expectations going into the first volume or going into Star Wars Visions? Uh, what were you kind of any any preconceived notions about it? And then what was your overall kind of assessment of it afterwards? So I was sold on the idea immediately when they started talking about Visions as a concept and and Visions as something that we'd be seeing brought to screen. And and really, it was the concept that here was almost like a, a what if or an alternate universe take of Star Wars, because I think the original concept, at least in my mind, was that this was going to be potentially Star Wars adjacent content, stuff that I could shut off my brain and shut off the is this the con- is this in continuity? Where are the Skywalkers? Where are the characters that I know and just enjoy stories set in that universe stories that felt like they were high concept of good and evil light and dark jedi and sith i and and really i just was looking for a small slice of a story that feels like i'm checking in on something that's a much richer tapestry but also that the story is just beginning much like when i watched the new hope for the first time Hmm. you know that feeling of okay, we've got an ending, but there's a lot more that's going to happen, isn't there? So I will say, though, that I enjoyed season two a little bit more than season one just because of the wider breadth of studios and yeah. countries involved. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, what I did find was everybody has a Star Wars story to tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm with you in that, like, when I heard about the premise, I got really excited. Um, I like I like Star Wars. I like seeing Star Wars in animation, but after so many seasons of Clone Wars and Rebels back to back, I kind of got a little bit tired of that style. And I was like, okay, let's let's see what else you can do if you really get some crazy kind of really stylized, really take this into like a and just knowing how creative some of these these studios could get. I was really excited at the premise, and I also thought understanding intellectually at least, that these were standalone pieces kind of of their own perhaps reinterpretations of Star Wars or different spins on the continuity and history. I was excited because somebody around this time a couple of years ago had kind of posited maybe that there was a finite number of stories that you could tell in the Star Wars universe. And I was like, I I don't think that's true. I, I think, I mean... You can tell any kind of star, any kind of story that you that is worth telling in film or television. You can apply that to Star Wars. You're only limited by the number of story concepts there are. And I thought this would be a great avenue to present that to to support my theory. But I have to say I was a little bit disappointed after the first volume when it came out in that expectation that it would be sort of, and it's because. So many of these stories, while they were all individually good, they are very repetitive. Um, and I think it's, I think that's sort of the all coming from a sort of Japanese aesthetic 
and having a kind of distinct mindset and tone of, the, of presenting the Jedi as a Ronin and the temptation of the dark side, the, the nature of an imperial system and everything, and, and the, this call to action against it. And these are foundational attributes of the lore of Star Wars. This is baked into the first movie because that in itself was based on Japanese and, and Kurosawa film and, and, that, and that sort of feudal Japanese culture. That's what George Lucas was borrowing from. So naturally, that's what a lot of these studios picked up on, something that they recognized, and they put their own visual stick in it. But thematically and, and tonally, I felt like a lot of them were kind of telling the same type of story or a story with the same feeling just a, just tweaked a little bit differently, which was okay. Except when I when it debuted, when I tried to binge watch them, and I think binge watching these is a is a mistake. And I'll I'll come back to that idea later on. And you, and you mentioned that you're thinking that season two is better because of its diversity, and I agree with that. But before we do uh, the second volume, let's get into some of the the first episode shows or, or little little shorts. And we're there again. There are nine of them, folks. We're not going to get into a lot of detail about all of them. We're just going to do little brief little hits of some of them. But a few of them are are really significant, and I want to talk more about uh, specifically the first one, the duel, because by by a lot of standards, this is one of the two or three best of all of them. Uh, at least that's how it's rated on IMDb. And I'll just I will will give you the the summary quick hit from Wikipedia, just because it's faster than I can. So, set in an alternate history 20 years after a war between the feudal Jedi Empire and a renegade Jedi sect called the Sith, a lone wanderer known only as the Ronin witnesses a legion of former stormtroopers attempt to besiege a small village. The Ronin fights the leader of the bandits, a self-declared Dark Lord of the Sith, armed with a heavily modified lightsaber, while his droid saves the villagers. The Ronin, actually a former Sith himself, lures the bandit leader into a trap and kills her. The Ronin, shown to be collecting red kyber crystals from each Sith he has killed, decides to give the leader's crystal to the villagers, citing that it can ward off evil. Uh, so that's the first one. Uh, it's, uh, this one was animated by Kamikaze Duga, or Duga, not sure how it's pronounced, but I thought... As an introductory piece, as the first one, this was a great way to start off. It has a great feel. It, it looks and feels by design, I think, like a Kurosawa film, with it, for one thing, being in black and white, with the exception of a few little color accents and the red lightsabers. I, I just thought like, the directing and the visual presentation of this one was amazing. Uh, what did you think about the duel? For me, this was a banger way to start off Visions. Yeah. This was that turn off the continuity brain and just enjoy. Mm-hmm. And you, you hit on one of the things that just really kind of hit me with this to begin with, which was the, the black and white presentation with the hints of color throughout. What an amazing way to tell a story. And then when you add in the music, that music in this episode or this, this short, mm-hmm. that is Star Wars. Yeah. That music just felt like, oh, I'm, I'm here and, and we're firing on all cylinders. So it was wonderfully composed. With having this like kind of traditional, mm-hmm. what you expect of a, a kind of traditional feudal Japanese setting with the mountains and the, and the small village and everything, 
to see familiar Star Wars tropes like an astromech droid, like this, you know, a Trandoshan or another, like these certain alien species that you recognize or droids or something like that. It's just, it's very cool to kind of put yourself in this world that feels like a little bit, a little bit adjacent to the Star Wars that we know and love, but it's still familiar. Um, and then, yeah, like with the, the wonderful thing about the color accents cutting through the black and white is you have this reveal of the protagonist who we just assume is going to be the Jedi and he's going to, he's going to fight this Sith witch. But when he draws his lightsaber and it's red, we are just as surprised as she is. What right. does this mean? What does this portend? And they've actually like th- this story, like inspired, they, there's a separate book like set in this world about this main character. Um, it's, it's either a novel. Yeah, I think there's a comic too, but there's definitely a novel about it. I haven't read it, uh, but it's definitely something like they're like, there's enough meat in this character to kind of like see where we can go with this. Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and, uh, what I actually took from it too was, you know, how often do you see dark side force users fighting and dueling? I can't even recall how often we see that. Not often. Maybe in the Clone Wars. I didn't watch the Clone Wars, I admit. Right. Um, but that, and, and yeah, we'll see that again. We'll hit on that later. We'll see that again in this uh, in Star Wars Visions. But I just absolutely love, my, my jaw dropped to the floor when I saw the Ronin light up with a red lightsaber. I thought, whoa, wow, okay, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and I, I loved the Sith Witch's lightsaber. How often do you see a Mary Poppins lightsaber? <laughs> it has this spinning umbrella factor that's like a propeller thing. Yeah. So, so it, it was great. It was definitely a, a fantastic way and, and set the bar high, in my opinion, uh, for this show to start off. I love there's a, there's an amazing shot too where she has like this kind of hood. It looks like she's got this kind of like high hairdo or like helmet or something underneath, but it's all covered in this like black shawl thing and the wind whips it away and like carries away from her face and she's just got like this huge almost like afro style hair. That's just really really cool. I like that. I just love the shot yeah. of the wind carrying that away, pulling it away from her face and her hair. What? Yeah, uh, the visuals in this one was fantastic. Yeah. That the, the I mean, it definitely certainly had the the Japanese flavor that we were expecting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. I mean, that the visuals in it uh, almost to a fault were exactly what you would expect. Mm-hmm. But seeing a Star Wars story in this fashion was mm-hmm. just a lot of fun. Yeah. Now you contrast this one with the second short uh, in the in the series. Uh, called Tatooine Rhapsody. This one, by all accounts, is the least favorite, I think, amongst amongst most viewers, um, which I, I think that's unfortunate because I... I like this one. I get why it's not as favored. Um, it's it's the one outlier that's not really about Jedi versus Sith or any kind of like feudal. It's really it's about a young Jedi Padawan who survives Order sixty six, but instead of like kind of going rogue, he starts a band with Jabba the Hutt's like nephew or something like that, and they have this rock rock band. The kid is voiced by Joseph Gordon Levitt, and the one of the things I, I like about it is just because. I like the song. Like the whole thing is like built around like this performance they have at the Boon to Eve pod race like thing, and they perform in front of Jabba the Hutt. And they're, this rock song, it sounds like like an early two thousands new rock. It reminds me of like Thirty Seconds to Mars or something. Um, and I, I like I kind of get it. Like even that feels like a bit like an outlier. Like 
I don't think of the diegetic music in Star Wars sounding like rock and roll. To me, it, like the most music in the Star Wars galaxy sounds a bit more jazzy, and I think that's just because of John Williams and like what the the music that we do here, like with uh, like the Cantina Band and everything, and John Williams being a jazz musician and composer, kind of going into his his career like scoring movies. So I kind of think like. Yeah, rock music should be sort of in the periphery. Although they have introduced rock, like in some of the cartoons, and even like uh, in Ahsoka, uh, the character Sabine is listening to music that sounds more kind of industrial rock. But yeah, this sort of like pop rock song that they do does not sound like it's of a piece with Star Wars. But I still think it's kind of catchy in an earworm way, so I kind of I kind of forgive this episode, um, even though it's yeah, it wouldn't be anybody's favorite. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely low on my list. Yeah, uh, I I would say that I'm not a fan of rock music in my Star Wars, but then I realized I wrote that down prior to watching the first episode of Ahsoka, in yeah. which you just referenced yeah. uh, Sabine riding down the road listening to some rock type music. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah. you know, I, to be fair, I guess rock music does exist. Yeah, uh, it it was fun to see Boba Fett in this. Yeah, that was, yeah, he's one of the few like in continuity characters that we actually see. Yeah, Boba Fett and, and Jabba. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but you know, a, a single viewing was enough for me. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I probably agreed with that. Yeah. Um, the the third episode is called the Twins, and I like I don't have a whole lot to to for this one except I will say that. At first, I did not like this one, and I can't say why, but my first viewing, I was like, I'm not really into this one. I don't know if it was the style of the animation or or something else, but over time and and repeated viewings, this one has grown on me. Um, I I would almost say this one is is getting close to one of my favorites, like um, my favorites list. Um, And maybe like I'm recognizing the style of the animation feels almost more... Maybe it reminds me a little bit more of like Saturday morning cartoons, like from the eighties, like Voltron or Silverhawks or something like that. It's very interesting you say that because I actually I wrote down that it felt very two dimensional to me, mm-hmm. and that was the same feeling that I got a very eighties Saturday morning or, mm-hmm. or you know mid afternoon Voltron Robotech type yeah. feel to it. Uh, and I, I love the. <laughs> climax with the guy using his starfighter at light speed with the power of the kyber crystal from his lightsaber channel to create this massive blade that just cuts the star destroyer in half i just thought it's like okay that's uh, yeah. that's that's way more cartoony than star wars but it's also pretty cool so. you know i like the idea of of the twins mm-hmm. and and them being on the opposing side of the force i thought that was interesting i just didn't feel like it was executed very well but it's also hard not to love it when you've got Neil Patrick Harris and Allison Brie there you go. voicing the two main characters. I, lo- I love her voice too when she's screaming. She just has she has a <laughs> voice for that type of for this type of animation. One hundred percent. The fourth one in the set, The Village Bride, is another one that kind of like the first time I watched it, I was just again getting into this idea of like so many of these things felt repetitive. I was like. All right, all right, I'm not really getting into it, but the more I watched, the more I really grew to like this. So uh, this one, uh, the summary on Wikipedia is, 
Years after the Great Jedi Purge, a former Jedi Padawan named F is drawn to a remote planet by an explorer named Valko. Valko explains that bandit raiders have reprogrammed old Separatist battle droids and are holding a village hostage. The village chief's granddaughter Haru and her fiancé Asu intend to surrender to the bandits as collateral the following morning, while Haru's sister Saku wants to fight the bandits. The next morning, as Haru is led to the arriving bandits, F removes her mask and cuts her Padawan braid. The bandits reveal they have captured Saku and attempt to execute her, but F and Valko intervene and defeat the bandits as F declares herself a Jedi. F then departs the planet. Uh, so this one, I think what I, what I really kind of grew to like about this one is the sense of history and the lore that this one presents. This idea that, okay, after the Clone Wars, this world is beset by war and is now the victim of these mercenary warlords who capture these extra battle droids and use them as their muscle, kind of like gangsters, just like extorting this world. Um, I like this idea of like the culture on this planet being very attuned to nature and having this spiritual connection that we we see is like that, that the Jedi is really interpreting it as a version of the Force, but the people don't have that terminology, but they can see the past and future events in the nature of their world uh, as a kind of forced vision, and I like that a lot. Um, it also, it, it feels like a little bit of a variation on the Obi-Wan Kenobi situation, which is you have this Jedi survivor on the run or in hiding, but an old family friend asks them to help out and intervene in this situation for the greater good, uh, to keep fighting the good fight. Uh, and I just, I, I like the way it was presented and I like that. Yeah. This one was tough not to rate in my top three. Um, it really came down to me having a couple others that just won out as my favorite, but I just really enjoyed this story for a lot of the reasons that you just mentioned. But I think for myself, it goes back to what I said back in the opening, which was here we are getting dropped into a story and we have a beginning and an end, but there's also this feeling of oh, there. this is just the start of a new story. There's more to come. I really would like to know more about F. What was her history? Where is she going? What is she going to do? What does it mean to now admit that she was a Padawan and now she feels like, okay, I've graduated. I can do this. Um, and I really enjoyed that idea of, Here's a Jedi as an observer, and then getting caught up in the action. And the way the way Valko talks to her, you're like, okay, is this like a master and apprentice relationship? It's like, no, this is just a friend of her former master. It's kind of like this, is like the the old uncle. That's like, yeah, I know, I know your dad, and this is what he would have wanted, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, okay, then the next one, which I think we we have to spend a little bit to talking about, the ninth Jedi. This wow. one I'm calling right now is my favorite of all of the series. Many generations after the Jedi Order became mostly extinct, Margrave Juro invites several Je seven Jedi to his aerial temple to receive lightsabers, whose design has been lost to time. Juro's droid gifts a lightsaber to one of the Jedi, Ethan, and promises that the others will arrive shortly. 
on the planet High Islan below, the sabersmith Lajima finishes constructing the remaining lightsabers, including one for his Force-sensitive daughter, Kara, before being captured by hunters working for the Sith. Kara finds transportation to the temple and presents the lightsabers to the other six Jedi, who reveal themselves as Sith imposters intending to kill Juro and any surviving Jedi. Juro's droid reveals himself to be Juro in disguise, and he assists Kara and Ethan in killing five of the Sith. The last remaining Sith, Homan, is spared as he returns to the light side, having been a Jedi survivor who was corrupted by the imposter's influence. Ethan, Kara, and Homan join Juro's new Jedi Order and prepare to rescue Lajima, who is being held on a Sith-controlled planet. Whew, so this one... um I actually looked up, this one is the longest of any of the stories, and it's actually because originally there were going to be ten short features uh, in in this list instead of nine. Uh, this this one, uh, the production, the company Production IG was going to do two different stories, but instead they collapsed both their story ideas into one to tell one bigger story. And I just, I, I adore the story. I love the 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 lore and the history that it suggests, this kind of subtly alternate timeline or universe. I love that the color of the lightsaber blade reflects both the honor and the intentions of the person wielding it. Wielding it. So at first, when Kara first picks it up, it has no color because she isn't really a Jedi. She's so raw in her force potential as developed. But during the fight, while she's you know defending Jiro and fighting and taking on this heroic mantle, it turns green for her. It gives her light and a sense of destiny. I love the shocking reveal that all of these gathered Jedi are actually Sith because when they all ignite them together, they turn red, and that's the revelation of who they are. Uh, I love just the this big weird lumbering droid turning out to be the Margrave in disguise. The taxi, the, the, they're called boatman droids, but like this taxi driver droids just sitting around smoking. So you're like, just uh, sort of like, you think these, these droids just like getting high off of some kind of like vapor or oil or something like that. And even like during the fight, like when Kara's like fighting or whatever, like the, the droid that takes her is still in the ship watching this and he's like, nice moves. Hey, buddy. Uh, like the whole, the visuals of the aerial temple floating amongst these asteroids and then like these, these weird giant fishing hooks from the surface, like casting into the atmosphere to grab asteroids and pull them back so they can mine them. Um, I like, uh, Ethan, the one good novice Jedi is voiced by Masi Oka from the show Heroes. And the sabersmith, Lajima, is, uh, he's voiced by Simu Lu, who is Shang-Chi in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, just everything about this. Kara and her little droid, the speeder bike the chase that they have. I love, like, the little entourage of warriors that they have in this own little mission to rescue her father by the end of it. Just, I could go on, but everything about this episode just nailed it for me. It hit it on all points. What do you think about the Ninth Jedi? Uh, there, there's that and so much more, too. I mean, for me, the, I think you're right. I think this is probably the most developed and probably the best for me of, of this first volume of stories. It w- had this great setup with the initial narration. When it first opens, it gives you just enough context to know what you're getting into without giving away anything. So to a degree, it's it's almost like an opening crawl or yeah, the yeah. Clone Wars series. Yeah, it reminded me of the <clears throat> opening crawl. Yeah, yeah, and and then I think you're right. It's I took it as the far future of our universe, our Star Wars universe, 
but I can see it being like maybe the far future of an alternate Star Wars universe because there are a couple little tweaks here and there. But I, I just I love the concept of this loss of knowledge and this loss of technology and then how important that is to the story. And then the storytelling, the storytelling was fantastic. And the first time I didn't pick up on all of these little foreshadowing pieces that were in there, you know, and you kind of hit on that with the, the color palette for certain characters and the colors of the, of the lightsaber. And in fact, you can even see that when the, when the first lightsaber is in the sky temple, and it's handed over to this collective of, of Jedi, potential Jedi. No one turns it on until it's handed to Ethan. Yeah. Ethan Ethan turns it on and we get, I think, a blue lightsaber. Yep. And you don't even realize, oh, if any of those other characters would have turned it on, they all would have been revealed. Right. But instead, and, and like when you watch it the second time, you notice like, oh, they're looking at him like, oh, we're going to have to kill this kid. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, like he he just outed himself as not being one of us. So sorry, buddy. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so you know, it was all of those di- different story aspects that you mentioned. It was the music. It was again another great animation style. Um, it was this foreshadowing, and even Homan, the 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 one quote unquote. Uh, dark Jedi who then gets converted back to the light side, you see his lightsaber turning from red to purple. Yeah. Yeah. Indicate the change. And it's just, I mean, this is really my favorite of this first volume. Yeah. So like, I mean, there's like all this history, like just that character himself. Like now I'm like, okay, how is he corrupted? Like what is his redemption arc? Like what, like what did they do to lure him in and why, why wasn't he fully corrupted to his heart that he was able to turn to the dark, to the back to the good side so easily? And like, like, yeah, I just want to know all about these characters. And just like the, the ending of the four of them walking together back to the ship, or I guess five, if you count her droid, um, of them walking together. Like, I, I love the fact that we have this ensemble because it reminds me of star, the, the original star Wars. Like I, as much as I like, like the master and apprentice, like this, there's so much uh, of these of these episodes present the Jedi as like the singular like Ronin or like masterless wandering samurai or or the master and apprentice relationship, but to actually have like a group of to borrow the phrase Star Warriors reminds me of like seeing Luke and Leia and Han and Chewie and R two and three PO and it's just there's just like that. Even though these are all new characters, I got a little bit of a nostalgia twinge in seeing them walking together. Um, and I was like, I think, I, by all means, give me a whole sequel series of these guys. Right? I mean, I, I mean, you, you just hit on it. I, I really do feel like this was chapter four, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. It, because you're right. That, that walk away at the end, it's, it's very much a homage to the end of episode four and our throne room scene. And, and here we go out to rescue her father. Um, but yeah, there's this whole story that leads up to it that we have all these questions like, how did the technology get lost? How did the technology get found? And why was it, you know, this guy that found it? And, what, you know, just what's going on on this planet? And how did Zima become such a, a sabersmith? I agree. If there were, uh, even more so than the duel, I would love to see, if I had to pick one story from this volume, it would be this that I would love to see 
developed into a much larger series. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. So Disney. Um, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, after that, there, there are four other stories uh, from the first volume. Uh, I, we're going to hit on one of them, but of the others, there's one called, I guess, 2B1. It's T0B1. It's, it's like the droid's name. Uh, it's kind of a little bit of a Pinocchio story. Uh, and just one of the notes about the the company that they animated, the studio that did this one, Science Saru, uh, their first production work was on the series Adventure Time. And I thought that was kind of cool. And I, I remember that when I when I watched this one. Um, oh, interesting. I and then there's that. one, Lop and Ocho, which is one that I, I don't really have. I, I was I wanted to like, I, I was like, this is one of my favorites, but I don't really have much else to say about it. Uh, there's just like a great family lore about it and this idea of a lightsaber as a family heirloom being passed down by generation by gener- from generation to generation. That contradicts the sort of modern idea idea of the of the lightsaber as being something that a Padawan has to build himself. But if you go back to the original movie in seventy seven, Obi Wan said your father wanted you to have this when you were old enough. He passes Anakin Skywalker's lightsaber onto Luke, which makes it you think it is kind of a family heirloom, something with a, a history and a legend of itself that gets passed on. So I like the fact that they kind of keyed into that idea of the lightsaber as opposed to the modern telling, which everybody has to make their own. That but, story yeah. is full of a lot of um, turning tropes on their head, isn't it? Because yeah. You, you, you like also have fidelity to well, like family to, and racism and things like that. There's a lot going on in that one. Yeah. And you have this role reversal of, you know, the, the elder, is the one that's fighting against the powers that can be, and it's the youth that's taking on the side of the empire. Yeah, the, well, you the know, youth and, is, wants to conform and wants this like, sort of modern convenience, and it's, it's turning aside from what it, it looks as an older, outdated so- society and everything. For in terms of yeah, yeah so. Um, but one of them that we 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 skipped over is the Elder, uh, produced by the studio Trigger. Um, and I'll let you take the lead on this one. I'll just, I'll go through the description of it. Centuries after the death of Darth Bane and the initial extinction of the Sith, Tajin and his Padawan Dan are sent to explore the Outer Rim where Tajin senses a disturbance in the Force. They land on an isolated planet and arrive at a remote village where they learn of a mysterious elder man who hiked onto the mountaintop. Dan follows the Elder's trail and meets the man who reveals himself to be a former Sith who left the Order before it fell apart. The Elder wounds Dan and Tejin arrives to fight the Elder. Tejin narrowly manages to kill the Elder who decomposes into rocky sediment and detonates an explosion that destroys his ship as he dies. As they leave the village upon Dan's recovery, Tejin tells Dan that being a Jedi means being kind-hearted so they do not end up like the Elder. What did you think about this one? So this one was near the top for me. And I think, although it does play into that, you know, master Padawan trope, I think I really liked seeing this wise master, this Padawan, who's, you know, just a little too eager. That's okay, but he's, you know, in in this learning mode. And this is kind of a hundreds of years before we even get to the High Republic. Here is what Jedi were doing. Yeah. You know, so I think it, it, kind of the day in a life type story. And yeah, yeah. I, you know, and, and so we, we dip in, we see this day in the life 
and then we move on. And although I wouldn't mind seeing more of these two characters, if I don't, I don't. But this was this was just a fun story to me. It was a one-off adventure. That's fine. But it's, you know, very classic Master Padawan story that um, just kind of speaks to what the Jedi were in their heyday. Yes, I think it, it kind of perfectly captures the archetype of those characters that we saw, really, like with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. You definitely get shades of both of those characters with this. Um, and it almost seems like like if if the continuity was a little bit different, it's like, yeah, this could have been what Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan were doing a year before The Phantom Menace. Um, yes, exactly. And, but and we just know, I mean, obviously different with this version of, of a... a Sith who managed to like escape the order before, and I the summary does like kind of put it into a a specific time frame. But you're right, like this could have been almost any time during the old Republic. You can sort of slot this in because it feels more archetypal and sort of like this is, yeah, I like the way you put it, kind of like a classic example, like a day in the life of what did the Jedi get up to, and like what might be, and what is what is the object lesson that the Padawan has to learn about like patience and and how to treat others and stuff like that. And, um, and the Sith, yeah, even in death, has to cling to their mysteries and hold out and 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 keep things secretive. So, yeah, exactly. Um, Should Barley mention the uh, voice actors in this one because there's some highlights in this. Yeah, David uh, Harbor is uh, the master. He is, and James Hong is the old man. Yeah, both of them do a great job. Yeah, yeah. David and Harbor. Then, uh, David this, Harbor's all over the place these days, but yeah, yeah, he is. He is. Uh, and then this one was also produced by the same studio, Trigger, that did Episode 3, The Twins, that we talked about earlier. But I felt like this was a vastly different and much better outing than The Twins. And very different looking, too. Like, you wouldn't, like, I, if I did, if I hadn't researched that, I wouldn't have thought these were by the same, the same studio. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one in the first volume is Akakiri. Um, other than it being very red, <laughs> any, any thoughts on this one? Just. Uh, that's about my thought. It just it it was a good turning story, but it it just felt like it was missing something for me. Yeah. There were just too many things left unanswered, yeah. and not in a way that I wanted to follow up on. Yeah. I, I kind of I teased this a little bit before we were getting into the specifics, but I'll, I'll mention it again. Um, I I felt like the 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 weakness of this first volume is a lot of repetition of themes, sentiments, the kind of basic structure of the the sort of Jedi as this lone kind of Ronin type of character, um, which, again, I get is fundamental to uh, both Star Wars and also the sort of Japanese aesthetic. But even when they present it in nine different animation styles, it feels a little bit repetitive, so I don't recommend trying to binge watch these. I think that was actually a mistake maybe lots of people made, but I, I definitely think that was a mistake when I was trying to first watch the show, was trying to cram all of these into a, a very few amount of viewings. And I think you just you lose a lot of the details, you lose a lot of what makes each of them special. So viewers, if you haven't watched these shows, or sorry, listeners, 
uh, to this podcast. If you haven't watched these shows yet or if this conversation sparks your interest and you want to revisit them, I recommend not trying to get through them in just one or two sittings. I recommend not binge-watching them. I would treat these like a little bit of an appetizer. If you've got like a family like viewing night like where you all watch the same show or you're going to watch a movie or something that night, like, hey, you're going to watch The Flash on Max or something like that, before you watch that, just watch one of these little videos. Most of them are like like 15 to 20 minutes at the most. Um, just watch one of these. Just take it as like a little bit of after. Sort of actually the way – I mean they're animated shorts. So you think about the way like Disney used to have those little animated short features before their movies in the movie theater uh, that went along with the previews. I would treat these sort of like that. Just watch one off, kind of digest it as its own, and then watch another movie or TV show or something. What do you think about that? Am I crazy? I- no, not at all. Well, I mean, maybe you are crazy, but not <laughs> not in regards to this. I agree with you wholeheartedly. The uh, the way I approached these, or the way I feel like they should be approached, is like you said, taking them in and just kind of allowing yourself to digest the story. I noticed when I and and I'll kind of talk about this in season volume two here. Um, it took me a little while to think about what I just saw and to kind of really mull it over and figure out, wait, okay, this is a lot deeper than I thought. What did I just take from that? Oh, okay. Okay. I get this. That's tragic. This is awesome. You know, these are the four pieces of foreshadowing that I totally missed. So yeah, definitely give yourself an opportunity to enjoy these. Take your time. There's no rush to get through these. All right, folks, uh, we are going to take a short little break so I can play a promo for my favorite thing on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Uh, When we come back, we're going to talk about Visions Volume 2. All autumn, the leaves change colors and begin to fall. The kids go back to school. Pumpkin Spice becomes its own food group. And little ghosts and goblins are on the streets begging for candy. But something sinister awaits. Back in the woods, among those dead trees, sits a foreboding, dilapidated manor. You can't resist. You must go inside and return to... The House of Frankenstein. Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. The Supermates Podcast presents four spine-tingling episodes covering your favorite classic horror films featuring these iconic stars. Griffin Dunn and David Naughton. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Bela Lugosi. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Claude Rains. You're crazy to know who I am, aren't you? All right, I'll show you. <laughs> and Peter Cushing. Plus, your favorite superheroes versus classic monsters. I understand your concern, Mr. Wayne, but I don't think you need to worry that Wayne Tech is responsible for this invisible man. But I seem to remember last year hearing something about an invisibility project. Visit fireandwaterpodcast.com or your favorite podcatcher for the 10th annual journey into terror at the House of Franklin Stein. available in pumpkin spice flavor.
All right. Uh, just like with Volume 1, Volume <clears throat> 2 has nine shorts. Uh, but this time, I think... I would assume perhaps they they learned a lesson or of the pitfalls of Volume One, and uh, Lucasfilm cast a much wider net in terms of looking at animation studios, and they really went all over the globe. Uh, as I said in the beginning, we've got shorts from Spain, Ireland, Chile, UK, South Korea, France, India, the United States, South Africa, and Japan again. Um, so uh, the first one. And again, they these they hit really hard with their with their first installments. They know what they've got. Uh, the first one is just called Sith. Um, this one is um, uh, the anime studios El Guiri, and the story is: as the Sith remain in hiding during the reign of the High Republic, Lola, a former Sith apprentice, lives in solitude on a desolate planet with her droid E2, and is trying to channel the Force into painting her base. However, despite her efforts, the paint keeps forming dark smudges that don't go away. While investigating a droid that crashed on the planet, she is suddenly visited by her former Sith Master, who chases her down to her base with two droids and forces her to fight him. Inside, he insists that she is to become the new Sith Master by killing him and forcing the rule of two. Lola comes to the realization that she needs to accept both light and dark halves and promptly kills the Sith Master when her double-edged lightsaber produces one yellow and one red blade, with him telling her, you are the Sith Master now before crumbling to dust. Now in control of her own destiny, calling herself simply the Master, Lola finishes the painting and leaves the planet with E2. This one, the story in itself is cool, though, again, dealing with the lore and the Sith and the, the presentation of her her internal conflict being manifested visually with a lightsaber with two different color blades kind of at odds with each other. I, I really liked all of this, but gosh, just like the, the art style in the animation here, what they achieved just in terms of like the, the, the backgrounds, the, the settings, the landscapes and everything... I love the look of her kind of like her speeder her speeder is just like this big wheel that's rolling around her or whatever it looks like like an 80s like action like a figure vehicle or something um her droid everything just gosh that just the visuals in this and the 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 painterly quality of of the brush strokes and how those you are used as transitions from scene I can't get over the look of this one it's so good the look was amazing. In fact, I, I kind of looked at it as, or I felt like it was a moving painting mm-hmm. or a painting come to life, you know? And, and I know that sounds kind of odd when you're talking about animation, but there's a, a quality to this that's different than an animated piece. And, and like I said, it's more of, of just this painting that you're watching and you just suddenly see it moving and it just encompasses the whole area. And, you know, so for me, I just, I loved this one. This one was a home run to start this season as well. I love that dual blade. I, I loved the duel. I loved that it was two Sith fighting one another again. I really liked that story of her struggle to come to terms with being more than the sum of her parts and balancing those feelings. Um, and then I have to admit, I'm a sucker for emo-like droids like <laughs> B2 and Andor, you know? 
E two reminded me of B two, and and yeah, you you've got a winner there for droids with me. I love me too. I I love droids so much, and yeah, as soon as I saw him, I'm like, oh, I want a toy of him. Right? <laughs> he was so good, so good. Um, again, the, the story a fairly simple character study, but just like. The yeah, the painterly qualities, the the animation, like the sense of movement and fluidity, uh, everything about this, yeah, just and like the the way it internal interprets the tech of the her vehicle and the droids, including the assassin droids that go after her, they all looked really really cool. So yeah, the visuals in this one are just outstanding, and and I don't necessarily need to know more about where she goes from here, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. but. You know, it was it was just a great start to finish story. It just was wonderful, and and I mean, it was a hey, we're dropping into a story, and we're you know, there's a new beginning here at the end of the story, but mm-hmm. it still certainly scratched the edge. Yep. And uh, we should mention too that this was produced um, by that studio from Spain, El Guiri yep. Story Studios, but it was written and directed by Rodrigo um, Blas, and I know I'm I'm just mangling that name mm-hmm. but he uh worked on ice age and finding nemo ratatouille wally and the incredibles oh okay cool cool i didn't know that yeah yeah nice. so he um yeah that's uh, and this season we'll we'll see that there's a lot of pedigree behind yeah, these yeah. studios yeah well even the next one um uh the next episode screechers reach by cartoon saloon uh, and they have a good. And this one now we we cross the ocean. And this one was produced uh, in Ireland, uh, or by the uh, the Irish company, uh, the studio. Um, and this one, like, just a, a total like like just turn around, a, a change of pace, a change of direction, a visual, a change of like visual style abruptly. Um, and I, I don't know what it says, but this is my son's favorite one like he's watched a lot of these with me and he he like as soon as we watch this one he's like i want to watch that again turn that like play, play that one again i want to watch it from the beginning um so screechers reach the uh, the story is prior to the initial extinction of the sith a young girl named Dal lives in a workhouse with her friends bathan quinn and kina Tired of living there, Dal convinces her friends to head out to Screechers Reach, a remote cave, with her by stealing some land speed vehicles. The cave is rumored to hold a ghost within its walls, and the friends are eager to find it. Throughout the journey, Dal is motivated by an unusual necklace she carries. They find the cave and run into the ghost, who turns out to be an elderly Sith apprentice woman that has been trapped inside. Dal has her friends run away, then you Using the force, she crushes the ghost with a boulder and then finishes her off with her own lightsaber. After Dal escapes the cave, the necklace is revealed to be a communicator to a Sith Lord called the Sith Mother, who, funny enough, is voiced by Angelica Houston. Uh, and uh, the Sith Mother who had given Dal the task to finish off her own apprentice and take her place by the Mother's side in exchange for refuge from the sweatshop. Despite Dal's efforts, the Sith Mother refuses to take her friends, leaving them feeling betrayed. As Dal reluctantly leaves, she looks back at her friends one last time. So, conceptually, I mean, the story feels very much like the trials of a young Force adept over, like, overcoming this monster, overcoming this danger in this cave, revealing that it has the power of the Force, and then being adopted into the Jedi Order by a master. 
Except this time it's the Sith. Sith. So it casts this much darker pall on it, even though Dahl isn't really doing anything necessarily evil, although she does lead her friends into this cave that she suspects has a very legitimate danger to it. Um, But in, like, taking down this monster, this, this... ghost, this this old, like, hag of a, of a Sith apprentice, she's not, you know, doing anything terribly evil in that, just, like, fighting off the evil. But, like, then the abandoning of her friends and going off with the Sith witch. Um, this is another one, I mean, uh, like I said, like, m- my kid loves this one, I think just, like, for the visuals, it has a very kind of, like, oh, there's a cartoon, I can't, it's a cartoon, I, call, I think it's a Netflix series called Hilda, that this one kind of reminds me of. Uh, in terms of the animation style, um, but yeah, like the the look of the figures and the background scenery. There's a shot when they're the four kids are riding their speeders across mm. the landscape, and there's like a watery base below them that's as clear and pure and like untouched that it looks like a mirror of this heavenly starscape above them. A beautiful shot. Um, and all of these, like the, the landscapes, the woods, the cave, even the workhouse that they're, they're based on, all of this stuff, according to, uh, one of the, the director, Paul Young, is kind of based on specific locations around Ireland that he was familiar with. So, what did you think of Screecher's Reach? So, this one was a slow burn for me. My first viewing on this, I, I was really conflicted on how I felt about it. And then I watched it again. And the gravity of the story really hit home. And and it's become a favorite of mine now. Um, but I think it, for me on initial viewing, it was this, the slow, you know, the story is slow to start as far as its connection to, to the Star Wars universe. You're really kind of left wondering, okay, where is this going? What's going on? And not that that's good or bad. It just is. But man, the, the climax of that story and the ending that was not the twist I was expecting. And it just kind of turned everything on its side. You know, all of a sudden now you're realizing she's made a deal with the devil and doesn't even realize it. And this, this innocent person is going down this dark path. And, and to a degree, I mean, I'm not surprised that a Sith witch or a Sith mother would be interested in corrupting someone that maybe to us anyway seemed uncorruptible or at least you know innocent and so this was this one hit hard with with the wow you know anybody can kind of be uh, a victim of their own circumstance Mm. and really can can you know not even understand what they're getting into and not have any opportunity to do anything about it Mm. Um, Angelica Houston, she was fantastic. I know the role was small, but she was fantastic in her role. And apparently the connection there is that she spent her childhood in Ireland and still considers it home. Oh, nice. And Lucasfilm actually reached out to her and connected her to Cartoon Salute. Very cool. I, like... As soon as she started speaking, I was like, I know that voice. I never would have guessed it was Angelica Houston. I had to look at her or wait, wait for the credits. But I was like, I've heard this voice a lot. Where have I heard this voice? <laughs> right, and right. Because it, it, was, it was familiar enough that it was bothering me, but it, like, I, not so familiar that I could say, oh, yeah, Morticia Adams. 
which I, why do I, I yeah, I, she's done so many other things. I shouldn't necessarily think of her as Morticia first, but yeah. Um, so from this one, from this uh, very stylized animation, again, for these for these episodes, we go in a lot of different directions, not just you know with like different animation studios around the globe, but. Like we go from 2D animation to 3D to claymation, even, um, and uh, one of the one of the other stories that I really wanted to hit upon is uh, the fourth installment called "I Am Your Mother," um, and this one was produced by Ardman, which is the studio behind Wallace and Gromit and Shaun the Sheep. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned pedigree on, on some of these yeah. studios, like this one, probably the best known one. Um, and this one I had to mention because, like, in the first in the first season we had, yeah, we had the episode with Jabba the Hutt and Boba Fett. I was like, okay, some recognizable faces. This one we get my man Wedge Antilles. <laughs> oh, like, Wedge! Wedge and, who gets more screen time in this short than he does in the entire sequel trilogy. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, uh, and and I am a huge fan of Wedge. I've been a huge fan of Wedge since. I saw him flying away from the Death Star the very first time. Oh yeah, I've been I've always been a fan of the X-wing books and comics and stuff. So. Um, the story here: some years after the defeat of the Empire, Wedge Antilles has formed a flight academy for new pilots. One of the cadets, a Twi'lek named Annie Kalthus, who was inspired to become a pilot by her single mother Kalina, but who uh, but has since come to find her coddling and embarrassing. Consequently, she neglects to tell her about a starship racing event from the Flight Academy where families compete against each other. Annie is also picked on by fellow student Julian Van Riepel, whose mother Dorota pilots a much more sophisticated ship. When Kalina suddenly shows up to return Annie's lunch, she learns of the race and is egged on by the Van Riepels when they insult her ship. During the race, Annie admits to her mother that she embarrasses her, but she takes in but she takes in stride and has her win the race for them, defeating the Van Riepels. Annie apologizes for what she did, but Kalina tells her that embarrassing her is what moms do best. Um so this one is adorable for all sorts of purposes. It's like it's very very kid friendly, very silly, um, very British in terms of like just like not just like the voice casting, but like the sentiment, the class disputes between this mother and daughter. Like it looks like she's like basically they have like the the equivalent of like a camper van, almost looks like a garbage truck that they're flying, versus the Van Riepels who are like very much like the the. Draco Malfoy type of family that's like old money, all dark, super serious and haughty and just just abjectly cruel to, for the sake of cruelty. Um, and But like the family connection of like the daughter being embarrassed by her mom but learning to love her mom and they win the race. It's just a, a perfect little animated short. It's like everything that you would want in like a, a, like a Disney Pixar type of thing except it's this, this Ardman studio. And Again, Wedge as being the celebrity spokesperson and kind of like making money off of his name and appearances is just a great little flip on the character that I love. Uh, it's such a sweet and fun little romp, and who doesn't need the occasional fun romp in the Star Wars mm. universe? You know, it's it's just fun. Um, you know, when I saw the title, uh, because my approach to all of these was let me just 
listen, look at the title and not go into it with any expectations, not knowing the studio, the animation style, what to expect. So I thought, okay, I am your mother. Is this going to be serious or is this going to be funny? Well, of course, considering the studio, I should have known. Um, but boy, it's, you know, it's having a teenager myself, uh, who I'm very lucky she does not get too embarrassed by me. But, you know, I I know where mom is coming from and I know where that teenage girl is coming from. And so it just was a, a nice little change of pace, a little nice palate cleanser and very well done. And yeah, Wedge making the appearance in it just added to the fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and then... We change style and tone yet again, going completely different direction uh, for the fifth installment, Journey to Dark Head. And uh, this one by a Korean studio is probably the most like the season one episodes, I would say. Um, feels feels the most like it could have been transported to that one without much, much difference. Uh, it has the most... It feels like the most anime of the volume, again, despite being... Uh, for a Korean company instead of Japan. Um, but like, not just like the visual style, but like the, the tones and themes. We get these two protagonists, male and female. They have to work together, but all they do is bicker and fight. Each one of them has a history and a journey of this revelation that they're going on. In fact, oh, I should, I'll go through the, the story. This one is called Journey to the Dark Head. During the initial war between the Jedi and Sith, an adolescent monk named Ara believes that the statues on her home planet, whose stones around its base have foretelling abilities, control both light and dark, as one is lit in blue light and the other in red. She resolves to destroy the dark head in the belief that it can turn the tide of the war. Years later, Ara, now a teenage mechanic, requests the Jedi Council for a bodyguard on her quest. They assign a young Padawan named Tull to the task. Tull has recently lost his master at the hands of a sadistic Sith Lord Bishan, leaving him traumatized and in constant fear. The two of them collect supplies and head to the planet where Bashan chases them. They make it to the statues, but Ara realizes that both light and dark evenly flow between them, making it impossible to destroy. Toll overcomes his fear and with Ara's help manages to kill Bashan. The two of them decide to continue journeying together. So again, I, I love this episode a whole lot. I'm not sure if it's my favorite of the season, but it's really close um, because I like both of these characters. They both feel like they have an even kind of history and destiny. Ara with these visions of what she interprets the Force to have this meaning, but once she is actually confronted, she's like, okay, maybe this is, I was looking at this riddle the wrong way, and she has to have like this kind of like, like catharsis. Um, Tall being scarred by his first encounter with the Sith, uh, who the Bishan, by the way, is voiced by Daniel Day Kim, uh, and and their whole fight and everything with like his his long long ponytail that he's able to control kind of telepathically. Uh, I love that little detail. Um, and both of them, both of these two heroes, able to confront their fears and their visions together. And then surviving that experience, kind of becoming friends and having kind of like this this locked and shared union. I really, really liked this one. This one was probably my favorite of the entire season and reminded me a lot of The Elder from the previous season mm-hmm. where you have yep. you have this pair that's, you know, being joined up. They're facing a Sith. 
you know, and yeah, it kind of fits into that mold, but you know, here we go for another fun romp. Um, we're getting, uh, you mentioned it before with the, the sense of history and lore. I felt like this story really had a lot to that, a lot of us being dropped into the middle of this much larger thing that's going on. And, you know, we're getting those large Jedi statues again that we got on Jedi in Rogue One. Um, so I, I'm kind of curious to know what's going on with the Jedi and these large statues. But, um, you know, the the story itself, though, was fun to drop in. I like the way they kind of walked off together. Um, I would love to see more of these two characters on additional adventures. We, I don't think we've ever necessarily gotten a story like that in the Star Wars universe where we have a, a younger Jedi and, and a non-Jedi mechanic that are now working together becoming friends uh and going out and having some adventures together if they had done if they had made finn a force sensitive or, or a jedi apprentice like had been in in one version of the the sequel trilogy like this could have been a finn and rose adventure or something like that but oh yeah. that's a good point yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i could see that and again going back to the uh the pedigree yeah. Not only do you have Daniel Day Kim, who I absolutely love from his time on Lost, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, Studio Mirror, who produced this, man, they have quite the pedigree. They they did Avatar The Legend of Korra, uh, first season of My Adventures with Superman, which is just finishing up. Young I've heard, I've heard great season. things about that. Oh, I, I have too. I've caught the first episode. I like it. It's, it's a very similar style, mm-hmm. and I think it works really well. Uh, it's a very new take on Superman, and I like it. Um, Young Justice Season 4, Harley Quinn Season 3, the new Babylon 5 animated film. They've just done a whole heck of a lot. They worked on The Boondocks, uh, which is one of my favorite shows. The Boondocks, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, you you kind of, knowing that, you expect them to hit a home run, and I think they did. Yeah, yeah. Again, like, this one... Yeah, I, I was. I'm, I've been trying to debate in my head between this one and The Sith, the, that first episode. And I think... I think what you pointed out, like, the Sith is a great encapsulation of just, like, one story about this character, but I don't need to know anything more about that character. I don't need a continuation of that story, because so much of it, of what I loved about it, was just the presentation and, like, the visual painterly qualities of that. But with this story, Journey to the Dark Head, like, I would, I would want to see, I would want to follow these characters again. I would want to see more about them. Um, yeah, I'd like to know. What, how did we get to this point? I mean, yeah, we get the flashback to her mm. as a young child, you know, but what is this place that she's in and yeah. how did she end up in front of the Jedi Council? Right, right. Yeah. Anyway, so we're going to just we're going to just hit upon one more of these uh one more of these installments. There are a couple others and again, all of these ones are very different in style and flavor, and they're all really good for one reason. There's one. There's one episode called "The Pit" that I really like because it kind of focuses on uh, the, these imperial slaves being forced into a, just to dig this pit to mine for kyber crystals. And when the pit is all spent and they, there's nothing left to mine, the imperials just abandon them and just leave these slaves in these pit to die. It's this horrific idea. But it has to do with, uh, I mean, you you think about the themes of of standing up, of of what defines power, and 
poverty and homelessness because there's this whole class thing when one of the guys escapes to go to the city that was literally built on the crystals that they mine for and the class distinctions of these slaves versus the wealthy elite and this idea of like hopelessness and never giving up, never surrendering to the darkness. There's some powerful messages going on in this one, but uh, I'll, I'll leave you guys to watch the episode on your own and interpret it that way. I, if I can just throw one thing in there. Yeah. To borrow a phrase from Shag, darkity dark dark. <laughs> this one is a very 1980s post-apocalyptic style of anime yeah. and storytelling. It is definitely darkity dark dark. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last one we'll leave you with uh, is uh, the one that I, I, you wanted to mention, and I, I'm really glad because I, I was like, I don't want to skip this one, so I'm glad that you, you kept this one. Um, this is Aoi's song. Um, it's not long after the initial extinction of the Sith, the people of the mountain planet Korba are helping the Jedi purify the kyber crystals, which have been bled by the Sith. A young native girl named Ao seems to have an unusual effect on the crystals when she sings. Her father, Abat, is trying to help a Jedi named Kratu with finding a way to heal the crystals, but warns Ao that her singing is dangerous. While Abat is in the mines, Ao discovers another cave entrance with crystals and begins to sing, only for Abat to interrupt her, causing the caves to react violently. Kratu attempts to save them, but Ao realizes what she must do and sings again, which manages to finally purify the crystals. Kratu reveals that Ao must come with her to fulfill her destiny as she and Abat have a tearful goodbye. Oh, the dad feels. <laughs> and the dad feels for this one. That's what got me. I, just the, the last shot before she gets on the ship when they're just sitting together and eating. And they're doing like a little like chomp, chomp, nom, nom, nom type of thing. Like just like as a father and daughter. It's such a lovely little image before she goes away. It is. It's it's, it's a you know what's coming. They know what's coming. But they're trying so desperately to live in the moment. And I mean, it's a it's a happy ending. No, you know, everyone survives the story. But it, like I said, it's it's the dad feels of, oh, my God, if my daughter had to leave to go because her talent just completely surpasses what I'm able to provide to her. It just, oh, it would just kill me. Hmm. Such a powerful one. So, um, anything else about this one that you wanted to mention? Uh, you know, I just, this was definitely one of those stories where you're for me anyway, I was left wanting more. What, what is this place? Why does she have this talent? And, mm-hmm. and what are the Jedi going to do with it? I mean, I, I don't know that it's as simple as, just singing yeah. to purify crystals. I feel like she's got a bigger, bigger mission in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a very again, very very different uh, animation style. This one is a little bit closer to Ardman and being sort of like the more three um, D approach and like the uh, uh, the well, non humanoid uh, characters, but well humanoid but non human. Um, yeah, it's 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 a fun. It feels again very very kid-friendly, the the opposite of darkity dark dark. Um, <laughs> I think each of these 18 little shorts uh, has some value and has some rewatch value, too. Um, I, I would recommend all of them. The, the thing is, as I said, I just I wouldn't try to binge these. I, volume 2 is, I think, easier to binge uh, multiple episodes, just because the flavor and the style is very different. But I just think 
that, that's doing a disservice. I think just the, the way to approach these as really is just short little films. You know, if you've got half an hour before work or something like that, or, or you're working out or something, just watch one of these while you're on the treadmill or a bike or something like that. Um, watch one before, you know, you do your, your watching of, you know, whatever, you know, TV show you, the family gathers around or whatever movie night you're going to do. Just make it a little, a little appetizer, a little preview, uh, for the events. And then you can just kind of sit around, digest it slowly and, and think about it later. But I mean, do you think they should make a volume three? I mean, I guess as long as the quality is there, why not? But I don't know that I, I don't know that I need more. I don't know that they, I would necessarily want them, their resources doing more like these, but I think a break for a while might, might yeah. do good. Yeah. Um, I think, like I said earlier, I think everyone has a star Wars story to tell. Mm-hmm. I think there's plenty of stories out there. Um, like you had said, and I think, there are plenty of talented animation studios around the world. And this is definitely the reason I enjoyed season two, you know, the thing, for instance, although we didn't talk about it, there was uh, one story from season from volume two, the bandits of Golok uh, by 88 pictures from India. Yeah. I mean, that was fast paced. It was anxiety inducing. It was exciting. It had outstanding fight scenes. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I enjoyed it. I just think I enjoyed others more or differently. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it was it was great to see the talent that came out of that studio. So yeah, I mean, the ones that we didn't spend time talking about, they're still. I mean, we, we've got notes on on all of these. There's still there's still good stuff in this. Um, and, and I would say, like, if nothing else, some of these stories are rich with fodder that like Lucasfilm could spin in other stories. Like again. That ninth Jedi. I mean, continue that story. Tell it. Do more cartoons. Do a movie about them, or or tell their story in comics or novels. I just want more of that world. But I could say that about half of these episodes. I was like, where where does that character go next? Tell me a little bit more about that. Um, you know, just exploring. Like you said, everybody everybody has their own Star Wars story, and some of these. There's more, more flavor. There's more crystal to be mined. I guess. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so. We could build. We could uh, dig that pit deeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we take that analogy any further than we need to, um, Dave, thank you very much for being on this episode and talking about these these episodes with me or these these little shorts with me. Uh, this was a whole lot of fun. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate it. It was a blast to discuss these i really enjoyed this yeah uh before i let you go uh i do have the the latest installment of the galactic questionnaire for you uh just three questions uh so are you ready i am ready all right what is your favorite ship in the star wars universe and you can't say the millennium falcon (laughs) you know my favorite ship of all time actually is the ghost from rebels and ahsoka that's a good one I, I have it up. I have the Lego version here in my office. That thing will never leave my side. I will never get rid of that. There's another one coming that I will build and put next to it. There's just something about the ghost that I just absolutely love. Well, what were the, the ships that you were going to say the, from uh, Return of the Jedi then? Uh, I was going to say that my probably my two favorite starfighters, though, from 
any film is the A wing and the B wing. Nice. There's just something about that that I just absolutely love. Both of those. I, I like them too. I've always I've always liked the B wing. I don't know, just something about like the weird, the weird kind of it's it's symmetrical, but it doesn't feel that way. It's just weird. But I just yeah, I like. Yeah, it. it's just it's just different, and it has such a unique mission mm-hmm. profile mm-hmm. that it just is. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about it. I enjoy the lumbering feel of it the bomber of it and you know it just goes and gets the job done question two if you had to live on one of the single climate planets throughout the star wars galaxy like the desert world of tatooine or the icy wastes of hoff or the ocean covered camino which planet or environment would you choose i'll take that too i like the uh i like the greenery i like all the water uh, I don't mind the porgs. Uh, there's a, a good, good source of food right there. I guess uh, if Chewy likes it, I'll, I'll, I imagine it can't be too bad. Um, I think I, I like green more than I do the the desert of Tatooine, or nice. Jakku, or the. And I wouldn't be able to handle the snow of Hoth. Yeah, those verdant green hills and mountains. Nice. All right. Question three. What is your favorite bit of Star Wars merchandise that you have ever owned, past or present? Oh, wow. That's a question. So I was, you know, a collector of all of the original action figures. I probably, I certainly had over 150 of them. Probably almost had every one of them. Uh, And then, of course, all the micros and certainly a lot of Lego sets. I'd say the the one that I probably adore the most at the moment is my Grand Admiral Thrawn minifigure because he is extremely rare. Nice. And uh, that's another piece of uh, Star Wars Lego that I just refuse to uh, part with. Very, very cool. Very cool. All right. Um, well, Dave, again, thank you very much for being on the show. I know that uh, you, you've recorded with a couple of my Fire & Water Network peers. So uh, any any shows that you would like to plug before we go? Uh, no, you can find me on uh, social media as DC Dave um, or, you know, Discord or mm-hmm. uh, comment sections on, on especially Fire & Water Network shows. And, uh, yeah, just uh, hopefully uh, continuing to – Uh, guest host gig on uh, other Fire and Water Network shows. Thanks again, and until next time, folks, give me those Star Wars as a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for this show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or you can email me at ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support shows like this on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts to support your favorite podcasts on the Fire and Water Network. Thanks for listening, and remember... The Force will be with you. Now, take it away, Star Waver. Can you hear us, everybody out there? Countless beings far across the cosmos. Whether one or a hundred million parsecs. You don't know us, but you are about to. We'll break all through the speed of light and sing to reach you.
Take a seat.